we enter into this time and this space to join our hearts and minds together. What is it that we come here seeking? Many things, too many to mention them all. Yet it is likely that some common longings draw us to be with one another once again. To remember what is most important in life. To be challenged to live more truly, more deeply. To live with integrity and kindness and hope and love. To feel the company of those who seek a common path. To be renewed in our faith in the promise of this life. And to be strengthened to find the courage to do what we must do day after day, world without end. And even if your longings are different than these, you are welcome here. You are welcome with your grief and your joy to be in this circle of companions. We gather here and it is good to be together. These opening words by the Reverend Linda Hart, they welcome all who have gathered this morning for our Sunday service. Welcome to those of you who are here in person at Essex Church, and welcome to those who are joining us via Zoom from far and wide. For anyone who doesn't know me, my name is Jane Blackall, and I'm Minister with Kensington Unitarians. It's been a while, but it's good to be back. This morning's service is titled, For All the Saints. Uh, this coming Wednesday is All Saints Day, which is as good a reason as any to reflect on the lives of the saints and take some time to consider what wisdom and encouragement we might glean from their often weird and wonderful stories. Who might we hold up as models of holiness and what chance have we got of following their example? But before we go any further, let us do as we always do. Let's take a moment to get settled and centered and ready to worship. This is an hour in which we can catch up with ourselves and reconnect with what matters most in life. It's a time for spiritual nourishment. So let's take a few slow breaths. Slow right down. Be here now. going to light our chalice flame as I do each time we gather. It's a simple ritual that connects us in solidarity with Unitarians and Unitarian in verse lists the world over and it reminds us of the proudly progressive religious tradition of which this gathering is part. Love is the aspiration the spirit that moves and inspires this faith we share. And rightly understood, love can nurture our spirits and transform the world. So may the flame of this chalice honour and embody the power and the blessing of the love we need, the love we give, the love in action we are challenged always to remember and to share. Time to sing. 
Our first hymn is on your yellow hymn sheet, if you're in the building. It's titled, When We Gather Here to Worship. It's a new hymn to an old tune. Uh, the words were written by my friend and colleague, Reverend Stephanie Bisbee, who's led worship for us a couple of times this year. Um, for those joining via Zoom, the words will be up on your screen. Feel free to stand or sit as you prefer, but sing up as best you can. When We Gather Here to Worship. Take all of those joys and concerns, both spoken and unspoken, into a time of prayer and reflection now. It's based on some words by Elizabeth Buki. You might want to adjust your position for comfort. You might want to put down anything you don't need to hold. Perhaps close your eyes. Perhaps focus on the candles. Perhaps there's a posture that helps you to feel more prayerful. Whatever helps you to get into the right state of body and mind for us to pray together now to be fully present in this sacred time and space we've co-created, present with ourselves, with each other, and with that which lies within us and beyond us. Spirit of life, God of all love, in whom we live and move and have our being, we turn our full attention to you, the light within and without as we tune into the depths of this life and the greater wisdom to which and through which we are all intimately connected. 
be with us now as we allow ourselves to drop into the silence and the stillness at the very center of our being. We gather in reverence and in thanks for you, ground of our being, source of all good. We are grateful for the gift of another breath, for each precious moment of connection, beauty and truth. Cry with us in our pain for our world. Remind us that we're loved just as we are. Remind us that we are connected with all that is. Remind us that we do not journey alone. Give us what we need for today and call us back to our promises, our commitments, our highest values. Help us to love ourselves and each other and to show that love each day in our actions. Make us instruments of justice, equity and compassion. Free us from all that is evil. Keep us from wrong. For we declare that life and love are stronger than tyranny and fear. A world of beauty and love is coming and we must shape it together. And in a few quiet moments now, let us look back over the week just gone to take stock. All those everyday cares and concerns of our own lives and those concentric circles of concern rippling ever outwards till they enfold the entire world and all those lives which touch our own. There is much suffering and struggle wherever we look. It is tough to witness the world's pain. So let's take a few moments to sit in prayer with all that weighs heavy on our hearts this day. Let us take a few moments more to notice all the good that's happened in this past week. Moments of uplift and delight, moments of beauty and pleasure, all those acts of generosity and kindness that we've known, the hopes and dreams and possibilities that are bubbling up and reminding us that we're still alive. There is lots to be grateful for. So let's take a few minutes more to sit quietly in prayer and give thanks.
spirit of life, God of all love. As this time of prayer draws to a close, we offer up our joys and our concerns, our hopes and our fears, our beauty and our brokenness. And we call on you for insight, healing and renewal. As we look forward now to the coming week, help us to live well each day and be our best selves, using our unique gifts in the service of love, justice and peace. Amen. I probably should have added a line to pray for the roof when that sudden downpour came along. Time to sing again. Our next hymn is number 191 in your green books, To Worship Rightly. Uh, it's a much-loved old favourite. It is really high. Brace yourself for the highest note and, you know, we'll forgive ourselves if we don't quite make it. The words will be up on screen again as usual. Feel free to stand or sit as you prefer, To Worship Rightly. Excerpts from the Lives of the Improbable Saints by Reverend Richard Coles. The Reverend Richard Coles, a recently retired celebrity vicar, 
published a couple of books about a decade ago titled Lives and Legends of the Improbable Saints. This was a spin-off of his habit of posting a potted history of a saint each day to social media. The stories were quite weird and wonderful, often a bit gory in cartoonish ways, and they established quite a following. So Richard Coles published these collections of the lives of the saints. And here are a few words from the first book's introduction. The Anglican calendar celebrates most days its saints, or quasi-saints, Anglicans being characteristically undecided about such things. Other churches do the same. In fact, there are a great many sources for the lives of those men and women and children and even a baby, which Christians over the years have venerated for their spectacular holiness. Sometimes this holiness could be very spectacular indeed. And these are the stories to which I was most drawn. Not the A-list saints, nor the B-listers, the C-listers and beyond. Stories of such strangeness, comedy, cruelty and surprise that I found them quite fascinating. I was not alone. Over the following weeks and months, others started following their stories on social media too. And if I missed a day, they would send messages insisting on updates. Naturally, I tried to oblige. The most common replies, however, to these postings are A, surely you're making them up, and B, surely you don't really believe this. In answer to A, I have never made one up, though I have permitted myself some latitude in presenting materials from ancient sources in a way my contemporaries would more readily recognize. The answer to B is a bit more complicated. Do I think a three-day-old baby preached a sermon? Do I think the cephalophores took their severed heads for a walk while singing a hymn? Do I think the flying friar had to be crossly summoned down from the ceiling of the Sistine Chapel, whence he'd floated during an audience with the Pope? No, I don't. But I do think that all these stories, legends and lives enabled people remote from us in time place and custom to experience the reality of God coming into focus. Experiences significant enough for them to be preserved, if sometimes haphazardly. I often think of a lady I once met who told me how much she admired a certain churchman for the way he demythologized religion. Conversely, I would very much like to re-mythologize religion and recommend the, the lives of these improbable saints in that spirit. And here's just one of the saints he writes about. St. John of the Ladder 
was a 7th century monk who lived at St. Catherine's Monastery on Mount Sinai. He entered as a novice aged 16, but seeking seclusion, he moved into a hermitage at the bottom of the mountain, where he remained in total isolation for 40 years. He acquired the gifts of clairvoyance and wonder-working, and he once prevented a brother monk from being squashed by a rock by calling to him in a vision. When he was 75, the monks sent someone down to see him and asked if he would become their abbot. He was greatly loved and admired in this role. But his greatest work is the Ladder of the Divine Ascent, which shows how one might raise one's soul and body to God through the step-by-step -step acquisition and practice of ascetic virtues. It's a great favourite with monks. There is a famous icon showing the ladder and those trying to get to heaven on it. On every run, they are beset by devils who try to poke them off. So they have to start all over again at the bottom. Anyone trying to live a good life will know what this feels like. Thanks, Brian. I, I did bring the two books down if you want to uh, have a look through them after the service. I really struggled to find one that wasn't gory or uh, yeah, slightly repellent to show. But if that's your bag, feel free to have a look at the books afterwards. So we're moving into a time of meditation now. I'm going to share a poem of Saints by Kevin Hart. The poem and the poet were completely new to me until this week, but it really spoke to me. So I put the text on your order of service and it's on the website too. If you go to the tab where it says sermons, you'll find it all there. The poem will take us into three minutes of silence, which will end with the sound of a bell. And during that time of silence, I invite you to reflect on your own concept of saints. What stories of saints and holy people do you know? And what do they represent to you about relating to God or to goodness? And we're going to hear some lovely music from Holly and Andrew to continue the meditative mood. So again, do what you need to do to get comfortable. Put your feet flat on the floor, maybe to ground and steady yourself. And as I always say, the words, they're just an offering. Feel free to use this time to meditate in your own way. There are three sorts of saint, the angel said. The first don't seem to do that much at all. Some simply walk barefoot on summer grass. Yet people seeing them lament their lives. You'll find them once or twice, half in a smile, and then God leaps the void to hold them tight. The second sort of saint, he seemed to say, I felt his thought burn deeply in my mind. Feel God must tick each single thing they do. No deed goes by without him seeing it. Each thought is rinsed and wrung for him alone. Difficult men and women too they are. And yet without them stones would snap in half. 
the angel looked at me the way cliffs do. The third, he said, and paused, will live as though the love of God must open all of time. Not even 20,000 lives would do to show the wonder of a drop of rain. Each word, each silence too is sung, not said, and each deflects death's no into a yes. The angel looked out calmly from my fear. A night was falling hard like an eclipse. The question bit its way into my heart. Which one are you? Not that you have a choice, but day must see you be the one you are. He gazed from deep within my darkest self and disappeared into the grainy air.
Saints and the Desire for Holiness by James Martin. This piece, a short excerpt from this Jesuit guide to almost everything by the Jesuit writer, James Martin, needs a bit of context to set the scene. James Martin makes reference to St. Ignatius of Lalola, the founder of the Society of Jesus, and the way that Ignatius came to embrace the religious life and start his religious order. In 1491, he was born into a family of the minor nobility in the Basque region of Spain, and by all accounts, his, his early life was all about revelry and gambling. He joined the army where he got a reputation as a womanizer and someone who fancied himself a bit, someone who was driven by a desire for fame. And it was said he was a rough, punkish swordsman who used his privileged status to escape prosecution for violent crimes. He got away with it for a while, but in 1521, he got injured in the Battle of Pamplona where a cannonball hit his right leg. And that was the end of his military career. He suffered a lot of horrible operations to try and patch it up and was laid up convalescing at the home of his sister-in-law with nothing to do and a lot of time on his hands. She brought him something to read, not his usual Shirelvic fare, but Lives of the Saints. And this was the beginning of his religious religious conversion. He was drawn to the saints example and dreamed of following in their footsteps. He was especially inspired by another military man, Francis of Assisi. So in the second half of his life, he took a new direction, devoted his life to God and founded the Society of Jesus, which is still going strong today. In due course, Ignatius was also canonized. So, with that brief sketch of the life of St. Ignatius of Loyola in mind, here's this short piece from James Martin about saints and the desire for holiness. He writes, An attraction to examples of holiness is another sign of the desire for God. This can be triggered in at least two ways. First, learning about holy people in the past, and second, meeting holy people today. In the first case, one famous example of this experience is that of Ignatius of Loyola. There he was, lying on his sickbed, reading about the lives of saints, when he started to think, in essence, hey, I could do something like that. His vanity was attracted to their great deeds, but a more authentic part of himself was attracted to their holiness. This is one way that God can call you to holiness, through a heartfelt attraction to holy men and women and a real desire to emulate their lives. But holiness resides not only in canonized saints like Ignatius, but also in the holy ones who walk among us. That includes the Holy Father who takes care of his young children, the Holy Daughter who tends to her aging parents, the Holy Grandmother who works hard for her community, 
Nor does holiness mean perfection. The saints were always flawed, human. Holiness always makes its home in humanity. So we can be attracted to models of holiness, both past and present, learning about past examples of holiness and meeting holy people today often makes us want to be like them. Thanks, Pat. So we Unitarians, we don't make a big thing about saints, do we, as a rule? Contrary to other denominations, it's actually quite rare to find a Unitarian church named after a saint. Um, there's one remaining, apparently, uh, St Mark's in Edinburgh. Though I recently read a blog post by the Unitarian historian, Dr. Reverend Dr David Steers. He reckoned there were two other uh, such churches that had existed in the past, St Michael's in Selby, Yorkshire, and St Thomas's in Ringwood, Hampshire, uh, chapels which closed in the 60s and the 70s, respectively. And this is quite a contrast to other denominations uh, in the wider Christian tradition, especially in Catholicism, where the significance of saints is much more evident in church names, in icons, in feast days. And of course, saints are not just a Christian phenomenon. There are parallel roles in most faith traditions. The one that comes to mind for me is the bodhisattvas in Buddhism. Not the same, but similar. So I find myself wondering, are we Unitarians missing out by shying away from the saints? What might we gain by engaging with them? And can we do so that's in keeping with our tradition? So let's start here. What is a saint anyway? The simplest definition, our starting point, probably has to be a holy person. A saint is a holy person. And perhaps our next question would then be, well, what is holy? The most common answer to that is devoted to God uh, or dedicated to the good. I've also seen perfect in goodness and righteousness. And the etymology of holy is derived from whole, W-H-O-L-E, and is connected to health. So perhaps a saint is a person dedicated to God, to goodness, to righteousness, to wholeness. Another account by John A. Coleman, another Jesuit, suggests that those considered saints are usually an exemplary model of how to live. Uh, an extraordinary teacher, a source of benevolent power, someone who can work wonders, someone with special and revelatory relation to God and the holy. I particularly like Lawrence Babb's metaphor, describing saints as focal points of spiritual force fields. In the Christian tradition, the process of officially recognising someone as a saint, declaring someone to be worthy of public veneration and entering their name in the canon, is known as canonization. It seems that the necessary qualifications to become an official saint, at least in the Catholic Church, have been tightened up a bit in recent centuries, especially compared to some of the interesting characters in those books. Nowadays, if you want to put someone forward for sainthood, it is quite a procedure. It requires a prolonged investigation to gather all the supporting evidence and at least a couple of posthumous miracles to your name. Though a few prominent names have been fast-tracked in recent years. Mother Teresa got put through uh, on the fast track. But official saints, those who have been officially rubber-stamped by the Pope or by leaders of other traditions, they are only part of the picture. There are plenty more of what we might call folk saints, 
often folk heroes with a local following or a connection to a particular area, is especially a thing in Latin America, uh, where indigenous communities often have their own saints not officially approved by the church. And there's a sense in which even in mainstream Christianity, all of the faithful deceased in heaven are considered to be saints. Although these extraordinary souls, the officially rubber-stamped ones, are marked out as worthy of special honour and emulation, we can consider anyone who lived a good and faithful life to be deserving of the name as well. I was particularly taken uh, by the phrase in James Martin's piece, that piece that Pat has read for us, the idea that saints are models of holiness and that we can be inspired to live differently by their example. Lawrence Hausman wrote that a saint is someone who makes goodness attractive. And Anne Gordon has this to say, in the Buddhist tradition, the faithful are encouraged to study the lives of the great bodhisattvas, the compassionate ones who could have chosen nirvana, but chose instead to remain on earth to assist the suffering. Likewise, in the Catholic tradition, we have the saints, those whose lives are seen as living embodiments of Christian principles in action. They endure not only because they lived with great spiritual purpose, but because they call each of us to do the same today. Words from Anne Gordon. So given all of this, can we and should we aspire to be saints ourselves? It sounds like quite an ask, but Matthew Fox seems to think it's an appropriate aspiration for people of faith. He wrote, I'm reminded of the biblical use of the term saint in the book of Acts, that it applies to each of us. All who are attempting to imitate the Christ in their lives merit the title of saint. Some do it more fully than others and are willing to let go of more to get the job done. Words by Matthew Fox. And if his phrase, attempting to imitate the Christ, doesn't really speak to you, there are, of course, various substitutions you could make to follow the Buddha, to grow in virtue, to do good. And also note that Fox says attempting not necessarily doing it perfectly. Even the big name saints are obviously flawed. Their life stories are complicated, morally ambivalent, and occasionally improbable, to use the word that Richard Coles gave it. But they have all ultimately dedicated their lives to God or to the good. And for all their stumblings and missteps, this is the guiding principle that shapes everything they do. When they inevitably encounter challenges or things go awry, they insistently return to this North Star. Saints are at least as messed up as the rest of us, and yet they and we are holy too. And as James Fadiman and Robert Fraga observe in their book on Sufism, many saints are hidden. Their outer lives do not look any different from the lives of their neighbours, although their inner lives are radiant with the divine presence. It is said that God hides the saints and lovers of God so that people will think everybody else might be a saint and will therefore love and care for each other. I wonder what you made of the poem for meditation of saints by Kevin Hart. In it, the angel describes three sorts of saint, the sort whose life looks simple, maybe even lamentable, but who God loves dearly or the sort who is scrupulous in thought and deed for God and strives to follow a righteous path, 
This is the salt that are typically most difficult to live with. And the salt, and this one that I found hardest to interpret, the salt who is full of wonder and praise and acceptance of all that is, perhaps. But the poem closes with the angel's question. Which one are you? Not that you have a choice, but day must see you be the one you are. So I suppose that's a question I hope you'll take away from today's service and ponder in your heart. Which one are you? The question reminds me of Thomas Merton's well-known saying, for me to be a saint means to be myself. Therefore, the problem of sanctity and salvation is in fact the problem of finding out who I am and of discovering my true self. There's one last perspective on saints I want to offer from Sam Keane, who also wrote, a saint is a person who is filled with wholesome desires, who is moved by an eros to become capacious, creative, magnanimous, and fully alive. Now, ain't that something to aspire to? So I want to sign off by addressing you with these words by you, you, Susan Brown. Welcome all you saints. Yes, you are saints. All of you are saints. For it is not by perfection that we are sainted. Rather, it's by our actions. It is not perfection we are sainted. It is by our presence. It is not by perfection we are sainted. It is by our giving. It is not by perfection we are sainted. It is by our living. It is not by perfection that we are sainted. Rather, it is by our gathering in love, with love, to become a nurturing, welcoming, healing, and faithful, worshipping community. So may it be so for the greater good of all. Amen. One last hymn then. Uh, on your order of service, uh, no, on your hymn sheet rather, it's the one for which the service was named for all the saints. It's a famous hymn, but the words have been thoroughly Unitarianized. Um, it's a good stirring tune. Stand or sit as you prefer, and let's give the Alleluia's a bit of welly if we can for all the saints.
think we officially gave that some welly. Just a few announcements now. Thanks to Janine for tech hosting. Thanks to Rachel for welcoming everyone online. Thanks to Brian and to Pat for our readings and to Holly and Andrew for lovely music. Thanks to Julia who's already gone out to put the kettle on for tea. And thanks to Patricia for greeting. I do stay for a, a cake and a cuppa after the service. I haven't made a cake for a while and I slightly burnt it, but I'm sure it will still taste all right. <laughs> if you're joining online, please do hang around for a chat. And as Carolyn mentioned, she's uh, organised this uh, lunch at a local Thai vegetarian buffet in Shepherd's Bush. So uh, have a word with Patricia or David, I think, if you're going along to that as, as Caroline's envoys, Carolyn's envoys rather. Um, that's £10 cash only. We've got various small group activities in the week. Heart and Soul, our contemplative spiritual gathering, takes place twice a week online. It's a good way to get to know people more deeply. You can join wherever you are. Send me an email or have a word today if you want to come along tonight or Friday at 7. And next week's theme is Perspectives. Next Sunday we'll have our All Souls service. This is a special occasion when we rem remember loved ones who have died. And also we've got a string quartet coming next week, so that should be a treat. Our community singing group got off to a great start this month. It's a collaboration with a local musician. Everyone's welcome. You don't have to read music. Um, the repertoire is mainly classic pop, folk, bit of gospel. I hear very good reports. The next session is this coming Wednesday, 1st of November, 7 o'clock. I think it'll be fun. Don't worry, the poetry group is still happening. That's been shifted a week and will be happening on the 8th of November. Do have a word with Brian if you want to come along to that. Details of all these activities are on the back of your order of service and they'll be in the Friday email too. Please do sign up for the mailing list if you haven't already. Because this congregation very much has a life beyond Sunday mornings. We encourage you to keep in touch, nurture supportive connections and do what you can to look out for one another. So just time for our closing words and closing music. As we prepare to depart, we give voice to these hopes. We know ourselves bound in community, even while we're apart. May we be inspired by models of holiness to live out our calling. May a passion for justice and equity burn throughout our lives. May we carry the light of compassion in our hearts and in our every interaction. May we be whole in our devotion to truth and always carry the lamp of peace before us. And may we truly show our faith in action as we go out and meet the days to come. Amen.